G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You may have heard there is an outcry that's coming from Christian leaders around the ramifications of a new bill introduced in the Victorian Parliament. Now, the bill has the potential to criminalise Christian practices. Unbelievably, practices like the simple idea of prayer and even reading some passages from the Bible. The bill is called the Change and Suppression Conversion Prohibition Bill. It relates to what's become known as conversion therapy. In Queensland and the ACT, they've already enacted laws like this, but the bill in Victoria goes far beyond the other states and even targets the Christian church. It's been described as the worst and most flagrant attack on basic freedoms this country's ever seen, Let's see if we can clarify just how serious this piece of legislation is. Associate Professor Neil Foster is an expert on law and religion in the Newcastle Law School at the University of Newcastle. Uh, Neil Foster's joining us. Neil, welcome along to 2020. Oh, hello. It's uh, very good to join you, Neil. Neil, the new conversion therapy bill, it's called the Change and Suppression Conversion Prohibition Bill, just how serious is this piece of legislation? Well, I think uh, it is quite a serious um, piece of legislation that creates uh, possible threats to um, Christian and other religious groups who wish to teach their people uh, that God has certain purposes for humanity, in particular in terms of uh, sexual conduct. And uh, as you know, the Bible has taught and uh, Christian church has recognized for many years that the only legitimate context for sex is between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. Uh, and yet some of the... Um, and a t- but teaching that, uh, teaching that is uh, is to some extent put under threat uh, by the prohibitions in this bill, the Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Bill 2020 that's been introduced into the Victorian Parliament. Okay, when we talk about these practices, uh, it's pretty widely understood that these practices don't happen anymore. And uh, perhaps they do. I mean, I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on whether these things are just a element of historic time when these practices did take place. But it does appear to be that the Victorian uh, government is, is highlighting practices that no longer exist. And there does appear to be a motive that does target the church. What are your thoughts in relation to those sorts of practices they talk about? Well, uh, most people would agree that the idea that you should be able to try and force someone to change their sexual attractions, their sexual orientation, through using, um, you know, electroshock therapy or aversion therapy or medication that's administered to them against their will. I mean, that's a terrible thing. And there does seem to be some evidence that in the past, in some extreme contexts, um, and I'm not sure whether it happened in Australia, but certainly in other places, that that's happened. Um, But I don't think anyone in the Christian church today would say that that was a great thing. 
Now, unfortunately, what happens is you can paint that as a so-called conversion practice um, and then shift the definition <laughs> to cover other things so that you taint other things with, with, the, uh, with the horror that we feel at these horrible things that have been happening in the past. So I'm not aware of any uh, mainstream Christian church or indeed any Christian church in Australia uh, that says that you should apply compulsory oppressive sort of techniques to people uh, through psychotherapy or medication or something to make them change sexual orientation or their sexual attractions against their will. But uh, the, the concerning thing about this legislation is that it broadens the definition of what's called a change or suppression practice very widely. Um, and one of the amazing things is that it says it's, it, something can be a practice or conduct that satisfies this definition under Section 5 of the Bill, uh, whether it's administered with or without the person's consent. <laughs> it's uh, quite shocking to think that somebody who is a Christian young Christian person perhaps who is wrestling with sexual attractions that they see are contrary to God's will and they seek out someone to give them some help that could uh, whatever that person does could still be characterized uh, as a change or suppression practice under this bill so the lgbt person becomes trapped in their uh, they're trapped in their sexual orientation and what's happening here appears to be the idea of churches being targeted because, uh, you know, those issues, as you mentioned, electroshock treatment or aversion therapy or special medications, they are extreme methods. But the fight here appears to be to keep Christian prayer from being legislated as an extreme method. Uh, this is an issue, isn't it? Uh, because uh, while we might think Christian prayer is a fairly straightforward practice, and it's, of course, been practiced for, for the last 2,000 years, to be thinking that prayer is extreme is, a con is an affronting thing to us, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So, so just to be clear, uh, Section 5, Subsection 3 of the Bill uh, tells us what... Um, uh, was included in the meaning of this expression um, can change or suppression practice and one of them under paragraph 3b is carrying out a religious practice including but not limited to a prayer-based practice it goes on to talk about a deliverance practice or an exorcism but I think the uh, you know the the context that a prayer-based practice can somehow be caught by this legislation is pretty astonishing. Now it's important to say that the definition does require the idea that you're trying to change or suppress sexual orientation of somebody, for example. And so there are there are arguments that could be made as to why this bill might not apply. If uh, so, from a Christian point of view, I think most uh, most of us would say. What we're trying to do is not change the person's fundamental underlying sexual attractions. We're just saying God's word says you should not engage in sex outside a man-woman marriage. And so we would say that to a, a, a heterosexual young bloke who came and said, I want to sleep with my girlfriend. His Bible study leader would say, well, um, you may feel that way, but you, the Bible says it's not the way you should behave. And that could then be said also to someone who came saying they have same-sex attraction. Um, that would, I think most Christian people would think that that was a legitimate activity of conveying the, the word of God and helping to pray for someone. But it could be painted, unfortunately, as suppressing someone's sexual orientation. 
And uh, that's one of the problems with the bill, is that it uses this language and it's just not entirely clear whether it uh, would uh, cover uh, these sorts of activities. So a lot of un a lack of clarity. And uh, when you dig around in some of the um, other documents that have been supplied in the parliament, there's occasionally things that's to try and draw some lines and say that it's okay. But there are some quite disturbing examples that are given in these documents, uh, which are meant to be examples of what uh, this practice would be. Uh, can I just give you one from the, sure. uh, the second reading speech that was tabled in the parliament? Uh, the minister there, who provides this as an you know, as uh, an explanation of what uh, what she thinks the bill is about, says the definition captures this conduct: a person going to a religious leader seeking advice on their feelings of same-sex attraction, and the religious leader telling them that they are broken and should live a celibate life for the purpose of changing or suppressing their same-sex attraction. Now, that is quite scary. That that is explicitly said in the parliament to be uh, something that would be caught by this bill. Now, most of us wouldn't use the language of saying to somebody, you are broken. We would be saying, you're a person whom God loves and is made in God's image, but all of us are caught up in sin and we need to repent and our behaviour needs to conform to God's will. But nevertheless, the idea that you can't sell someone to live a celibate life in these circumstances is at the core of that paragraph, and that's a real concern. Neil, wonderful being able to hear you articulate how you approach a law like this. Uh, but ordinary leaders in church life, ordinary people who might be at the front of a church when there's a prayer line and someone comes and says, I, I want prayer, well, they're not necessarily going to be able to articulate things quite so well as you. And there's going to be a high likelihood, I suspect, uh, that people will end up crossing the line. And then there is the potential for uh, big fines, even jail time uh, for Christians who are in, in simply leading prayer. Is that a possibility that's likely to come? Well, uh, we need to be um, careful to see exactly what the bill says. It, there are penalties uh, as a criminal offence involved, uh, but the criminal offences that are involved mostly make it, it require you to prove that someone has suffered serious injury. Um, and serious injury, when you trace through the various lines of definitions, can include a long-term psychological harm. Um, and so proving that criminal offence uh, is going to be difficult. It's going to require proof beyond reasonable doubt that the counselling they received did lead to this harm as opposed to other aspects of their lives, that means that it's going to be rare that there'll be actual um, convictions under these things. But the trouble is, whether there's actual convictions or not, it will be hanging over people's heads as, wow, you know, what happens if this person somewhere down the track somehow falls into some condition which they say is serious harm? Um, the other part of the bill, though, is also concerning because Apart from the two main criminal offences, there's a whole regime set up of civil uh, complaints that can be made and the Human Rights Commission in Victoria is given the power to receive complaints uh, about teaching that would seem to be aimed at suppressing or changing people's practices. It's given power to investigate these matters, require compulsorily required documents from people, institute so-called education programs. Now, there's some, a, a bit of a bureaucracy set up there, which, even if it doesn't involve criminal offences, is going to be very 
oppressive uh, on churches who want to simply teach the views of the Bible on these issues, in my view. Well, when we talk about freedoms, the freedom to preach or teach or talk about these issues that the Bible teaches, as you say, intrusive powers, uh, those things that take away the freedoms. And uh, when you have someone, uh, people in the Human Rights Commission, able to, as I understand it, be able to call on churches to submit copies of sermons or teaching materials from churches and to examine those that are being taught in churches. That in itself has an intimidatory effect and uh, will cause there to be uh, people all sorts, of, all sorts of ways concerned about that. What are your thoughts about those intrusive powers and how they will likely affect particularly Victorians? But this will, of course, uh, go out to all Australians, no doubt. Well, uh, I think, as you say, they are intrusive powers and they are um, uh, interfering with uh, the religious freedom of people to uh, teach and preach uh, the doctrines of their faith uh, within the context of a faith community and even just to share it with others. Um, and you're right, uh, I think the powers that are given to the Victorian uh, Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission, as it's called, uh, include, for example, a power to request further information uh, and to consider, for example, whether such practices are a pattern of behaviour in a church. So if they're, if they're investigating whether there's a pattern of behaviour, then it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility at all that they might say, oh, we compulsorily require you to hand over copies of your sermons or Bible study material for the last year or so. We want to know whether you're uh, engaged in teaching these sorts of things. And the fact is, um, churches don't spend all their time talking about sexual behaviour. Um, but when a church is preaching through the teaching of the Bible in accordance with the counsel of God, they will teach these, these, these passages. And so there are a number of concerns in this area. And as you say... Uh, if this is established as an acceptable model, then there'll be pressure to roll it out to uh, other parts of Australia as well. So it's something that I think is of great concern. Neil, the bill is likely to be debated and potentially voted on early next year. Is it likely that there might be amendments as it goes through the Victorian Parliament? Any thoughts on uh, whether this is just a, a big bad bill that's put up front and uh, and the government will likely water things down to make that more acceptable? Uh, what are your thoughts about the passage through the Victorian Parliament? Well, making prophecies is always difficult <laughs> about <laughs> yeah. what will happen in the future. Um, but the fact is that um, the um, Victorian government has... Um, uh, a good, my understanding is they have a majority, uh, well, they have a majority, obviously, in the lower house. They have very sympathetic cross benches in the upper house, I think. Um, I don't think there's a lot that could stop them if they were determined to proceed with the bill in its current form. Um, but it may be that if a sufficient number of Victorian citizens express their deep concern about these issues, uh, that uh, that can have an impact on members of parliament. So uh, I'd be encouraging people in Victoria um, to uh, get involved in expressing concerns about this. Um, it's possible that it could, for example, be altered slightly, uh, but I'm I'm concerned that the legislation as a whole is a is um, is 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 a worry. Um, even if, for example, some of the more severe criminal penalties were taken away, if to leave in place this civil structure where the commission is investigating these sorts of things, would I think uh, be a serious imposition on religious freedom in the state of Victoria? And it's really dealing with a problem that, as we've said, is not. A current problem. Uh, 
if, if people are being oppressed into these things, there are already laws that would deal with that. Um, and I don't think the bill really is something that uh, ought to be supported. Nevertheless, the chances are, one has to say politically, that it's um, likely to be um, enacted through the parliament. And uh, one can hope and pray, though, that people may be listen- will be willing to listen to concerns that are expressed about religious freedom. When we talk criminalising ordinary Christian activity, like praying for people or even quoting passages from the Bible, let me ask you about a worst-case scenario, potentially, but something that does all of a sudden appear quite likely, that because the Bible text is not going to change... It hasn't changed uh, since uh, the 4th century and it isn't going to change any time into the future. The idea of the Bible becoming an illegal book does appear all of a sudden to be a possibility in Australia. Well, I I wouldn't go that far and I pray that 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 will never happen. Um, But uh, it can't be denied that quoting the Bible will sometimes be offensive to people Um, and... um, there's always a danger uh, that things can develop in that direction. So I don't think uh, that itself will be a consequence of this bill. Um, there are statements that you can read in some of the documents uh, uh, provided in the Parliament where they say that, well, we, we don't want to pick up conduct uh, that's general, such as preaching sermons. So they, they try and confine the scope of the bill to something that's targeted at an individual. Um, and so I think it's unlikely that this bill will go in that direction. But the fact is, the general tre- tendency of our society is to uh, is to you know create problems for people who cause offence to others. And some parts of the Bible do cause offence to others. And we need to keep standing up for the freedom of uh, Christian people to teach and preach the Word of God. It certainly is a battlefront that has opened up. And it's not just affecting Victorians. Uh, I suspect all Australians need to be concerned about the deterioration of freedoms. Uh, But uh, we'll see what happens into the new year. And uh, there is that encouragement to listeners all over Australia to be very aware and conscious of the changes that are happening before our very eyes. I want to thank you, Neil Foster, for taking some time to share these thoughts with us. Neil Foster is Associate Professor and Expert on Law and Religion in the Newcastle Law School at the University of Newcastle. There is a blog uh, that you can access and you can hear the clarity by which Neil Foster delivers these sorts of details. It might be important to check on those things a little more if this is a concern for you. You can find his blog at lawandreligionaustralia.blog lawandreligionaustralia.blog. Neil Foster, thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil, and thank you for your good work in publicising this thing. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 